0: Hi, this is Delegate Eric Ludkey, Majority Leader of the Maryland House of Delegates, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties and one of the best sources for dad jokes in the entire state of Maryland. Hello, and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, session has begun as we are here on Thursday, January 14th. Yesterday, of course, was opening day. We'll get into all of that. But first of all, how are you holding up? How are things at the household?
1: Everything is okay here, uh, healthy and safe and so forth. And you say the session has begun, but I don't know. I haven't been in Annapolis. I haven't been out on circle. I'm, I'm not sure I can verify that that's really happened. I I, I just I have, I have to count on your reporting. So how are you and yours?
0: Doing really well. And even if you were in town, you may not know that that session has begun and is underway because it is a ghost town here in Annapolis. I have been the designated MAKO appointee to be in town. A couple of us were here yesterday. And, you know, we're not running around looking to get into anything, but Even when you you head into town and you drive home, you just notice that it's really, the streets are empty, and it's so odd and eerie to know that Session is here, everybody's in town, but there's nobody out on the streets. And I guess, Michael, that's a good thing as we look to contain the virus and its possible spread around town as the General Assembly comes back.
1: Right. I mean, the last thing that our elected leaders want is to themselves trigger a super spreader event or you know become a, a cause of of more people getting sick or being exposed and so forth so you know they've got to do the work of the people and we've heard that phrase quite a lot already this week so that's right they've got a job to do um there's an awful lot of precautions in place so i mean, i think it's worth like let's let's spend a few minutes before we get into deeper substance in this episode let's spend a few minutes talking about what this session really is going to look and feel like now that we've had a couple of days uh, to to reflect on um, a lot of precautions that are visible and now that we've seen people speaking from behind plexiglass barriers and so forth wow this is this is going to be really different isn't it
0: yeah no doubt about it and yeah we'll get into what this is looking like and then i want to also talk michael today about The biggest item on the agenda for session and that that's going to be responding to the pandemic. We've already seen a big proposal uh, to provide for relief for Maryland residents and businesses. But when it comes to session, yes, it's it's very odd. It's very strange. Yesterday, we saw the, the House and the Senate convened that the House, some of them were not allowed into the chamber as they opened session, which was weird. The Senate, you saw all the plexiglass. And I actually talked to a few senators who showed me some pictures. That, you know, they, they, it looks like they're in a jail cell in the back. You can't see anything. It's really <laughs> weird. You know, we watched the, the floor sessions were, were broadcast live. There were a few technical you know glitches there some audio went out but overall I thought it went pretty well that seems like it's going to, to work just fine the committees have started you know hearings as we said they were going to jump right into it those are all broadcasts online on YouTube and testimony is done through zoom so a lot of the stuff we knew was going to happen I am surprised Michael that I didn't see more people out and about you know i figured mm-hmm. you know they're all in town it seems like they need to go eat or do something but it is a good thing and i think the message has really gotten out that we don't want you lingering we don't want you loitering we don't want you hanging around town because of what you just talked about is they don't want to be the ones to create a super spreader event i know the city of annapolis is in contact with the general assembly and trying to make sure that they're maintaining the highest health standards. so It's here, a lot of what we thought, but we're starting to now see how this is working. And I I do think there will be some changes. All of this stuff is in flux when it comes to testimony and how they're going to handle the floor. So, you know, maybe some changes to come. But I mean, even you watching remotely, I mean, what was your first impression when the House and the Senate convened yesterday?
1: Well, I'm just, I guess it's it, it's, a, it's a shock to the eye to me that I had read all these you know memoranda saying, here's how we're going to conduct business and we're going to do these things and that. Like you, like you said, a number of members of the House were not invited to the floor. And what we mean by that is they're going to participate. They had sort of this lottery system and so forth, but you know, members of the House of Delegates are going to participate in floor sessions and debate through a remote access channel that's plugged into a separate room in the house of delegates office building. And, and that's just, it's just going to be really different. And I, I was mentally prepared for things to be unusual, but watching the lead in watching the, you know, the nominating speeches on the floor of the Senate with all the members behind these sort of plexiglass barriers. And I think, uh, a good Senator Pinsky made a comment about. It. He said, "I've been telling people this is like being in a series of phone booths, but no one knows what a phone booth is anymore. But for those of us okay. who do, that was a that was an apt description. It's it. Some, somebody described it being like in you know, a hall of mirrors, you know, a sort of a funhouse uh, setting, only maybe without the fun. It's it, it's going to look and feel weird. I I don't know about you, but like I'm a politics nerd. I I." I I'm in love with that romantic concept of the the legislator, you know, the senator stands up and gives this grand oratory on the floor of the body during the debate and persuades her peers that her point of view is right and they should vote that way. And then things go that way and people have the big celebration that they made this grand accomplishment. And this year just isn't going to be conducive for that kind of setting there won't be grand oratory when you're behind plexiglass you'll you'll be able to say the same words but i'm not sure you can have the same captivating effect right
0: being behind the plexiglass it's it's hard to be as effective but the interesting thing yesterday too you mentioned that auxiliary chamber that they've they've set up in the house office building the house members that weren't invited into the chamber had nowhere to go because they first had to, to had to pass a special rule that would allow for that auxiliary chamber so until that was done the auxiliary chamber doesn't exist right because that rule right. has to be passed so really it was it was, a, it was a strange moment because again they they didn't have anywhere to go until they passed the special <laughs> rule to, to to allow the chamber the other interesting thing michael and i don't no, if you knew this, I didn't know this, but this is a nerdy podcast. Apparently, neither the House nor the Senate can adjourn for more than three days, right, without letting the other know or getting permission from the other side. So they also had to pass special rules there because they do plan on adjourning for more than three days. We know that the House isn't planning on coming back to the floor for a while. And, you know, I think it's it's just very interesting that they also want to now incorporate more pro forma sessions. So for instance, they'll be able to have just a few people on the floor when they can introduce bills and read them across. That's not normal, but that's something that they're doing to avoid having you know too many people in the chamber at once. So a lot of special rules passed on day one, and that just adds to this, that it's going to be different. You're only going to see a few people on the floor at once, maybe introducing bills, reading them across. We don't need the full membership anymore. That's, that's just interesting to me generally
1: yeah I, I think as as like government wonks or nerds or whatever we we call ourselves these days that's a curiosity but i don't know maybe some of this sticks i mean the, the notion of doing an awful lot of pretty boring business that virtually all the time every member will consent to yeah the the, the the idea of assigning bills to committees and, and just, you know, just like doing housekeeping, to keep keep the doors open and the clocks running and so forth. The idea of doing that with the implied consent of the full body in a pro forma session, but telling most members, you don't really have to be here for this. I don't know. Like, we're going to do that this year for obvious reasons. But is it possible that that becomes part of the future legislative calendar here and in other state houses? I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll rethink some of these old school things dinosaurs like me want things a certain way but maybe it's time that you know we wake up
0: i think it's interesting and it is one of those that maybe does stick although you do have to have everybody there when you have you give out all the rewards and recognize the sports teams and accomplishments <laughs> we're used to that that's not going to happen this year either there are no pages this year typically you see the pages in the gray jackets running around they're all remote and i think they're still Hosting a program, but it's certainly not going to be the same. And Michael, when it comes to testimony, I mean, we've talked about what that might look like. There are new guidelines. Obviously, this is being done remotely. So you have to participate via Zoom. But the first the first thing is you have to have testimony in two days in advance. And if you are chosen, if you're, if you're going to go and you're going to give oral testimony, if you're chosen to be one of the select few that they will hear testimony from, you get an email with the Zoom link the night before. So I testified on a bill today. Mm. I got the link last night. It seemed to work just fine. Uh, you, you, they let you into the, to the Zoom meeting. You're muted. You unmute yourself when it's your turn. And then you log off. But it is weird to be just staring at a screen. I mean, we're all used to Zoom by now. But you're staring at all the, the senators' faces, in my case today, and trying to to get a read. You know, is, are they getting this? Are they understanding? Or is anybody nodding their head? Does anybody look angry, right? So all the things you would normally be looking for in person, you know, and, and the ability to read the room. It, it's something that's so important when you're testifying to be able to understand that this senator is over it. You don't need to say too much, or maybe you need to get into a little more detail. That just is really, really hard to do when you're doing it through a computer.
1: I, I think without a doubt. And I, you know, I I think you're awfully skillful at that read the room ability to understand this is this is an opportunity to get into some depth because people are paying attention and this topic is interesting or the thing I'm talking about seems pretty important. And then other times it's like, you know what, we've done this in writing, I'll abbreviate. And that's I don't know, I, I think it's it's probably going to be its own acquired skill for for you and the many stakeholders who need to make appearances a lot uh, to understand how do you do that now when there's not really a room to read. Um, I don't know, my my first time in the barrel is gonna to be tomorrow. You have any, uh, any particular tips for me? Cause you've been through it once and I have not yet.
0: Well, I will say it's very important. It, it wasn't me who did this, but someone else that was testifying on another bill so you're watching the hearing on YouTube, and then you're also logged into Zoom to testify. Mm. It's really, really important that you mute that YouTube or exit out altogether, because if you don't, you're going to have pretty bad feedback and nobody likes that. So important. Mm. Everybody's learning. I don't think that's going to happen moving forward. I think people will realize. But, you know, unmuting yourself, maybe on Zoom, too. We had that issue a few times where people right. were just talking and, they, you know, we've all been there. So. I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting to the Budget and Taxation Committee today, they were not in the committee room. Of course, they are remote. So they also don't have that benefit of of being able to read the room and look around and understand what's happening. So when the committee chair is trying to line up questions. You know, I, I think it's it's just it's odd because normally a committee chair can just look around and know somebody has a question, the light turns on. Here they really have to pay attention. And you know, everybody's learning. I think one question got missed today, but I, I think everybody understands this is new. And so you'll be just fine. You you know how to use Zoom by now.
1: <laughs> for sure. But um yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh we we've just posted some guidelines, you know, sort of intended for the members of the county community, but I think it could be for use by anybody of the 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 timetables and the expectations for each of the committees in the general assembly. There's some variations on a theme. One of the things that interests me the most is some committees apparently are going to use a process where all the questions on a given bill will be held until after all the people who wanted to testify in the bill have spoken. So Rather than you speak and then you field questions, which is what you and I are used to, the the system might be you speak, then four other people speak, and then two opponents speak, and now they open the field for questions for any of those people. That feels like a really different cadence and and structure than than we're used to. I wonder. I wonder if that will be as effective. I, I get why you might want to do it in the space of economizing on time, but. I'm, I'm wary of the idea of stay on the line because in 45 minutes someone might have a question about one of the details that was in your two minutes. Woo.
0: Yeah, it's going to be hard to, to get people to hang around, I think, and especially when you have – if testimony goes on and on and there are a bunch of questions, you have to hope that the person you're looking to get an answer from is still on the Zoom meeting. If not, you're out of luck. You'll have to follow up. Speaking of Zoom, Michael, it's not just the General Assembly that is meeting remotely. We held our first meeting of our legislative committee remotely, as well as our subcommittees. And of course, again, it's different. You know, there are little things that you don't really think about until you're there and you have to sort of figure it out on the fly. But the the bottom line for me is they got through all the bills. They took positions. We are a member-driven organization, so we had to convene them early so that they could take positions on bills that affect counties. But what did you think overall, Michael, of the first meeting of the legislative committee and subcommittees?
1: Well, I I'm, I miss our members like that. For me, that's really my bottom line. And I don't mean that to sound quite as personal and needy as it sounds. But really, after after not having our in-person summer conference and then not being able to do our winter event, um, you know, you and I are usually on on sort of a schedule throughout the year of getting out to be on the agenda for the county commissioners or go to lunch with the county council in various jurisdictions. So, like we we get to do a lot of face to face, just chatting about local issues and talking about Annapolis with our elected representatives. And I'm I'm like Zoom is fine and it's useful, but I just I, I miss having the real in-person interaction. So we're, we're going to do the smart thing and we're going to do the safe thing. We're going to have remote meetings and get through the agendas and we're going to get the guidance we need from our elected leaders and that's all good. It's still like there's there's something missing in the process when it is as distant as it feels when it's just faces on a screen. So, you know, sorry for the lamentation, but I felt a little bit removed from what is otherwise a really hands-on and, and like intimate process like going through bills and you know people interrupting each other and hands in the air and all that kind of stuff and it just doesn't feel the same but you're you're right we need their guidance they're they're the bosses so we we got you know we we checked the box and they got their input and they they told us what to do on a bunch of stuff that's as it ought to be i don't know you you you've got uh, you've got an awful lot of uh, water to carry on mako's behalf this year with lots of different issues. You you comfortable with how this is going to work out, you think?
0: I am becoming increasingly confident. I mean, once we had all those pre-file bills and you know, I I just was very anxious, right? Because we're used to doing things a certain way. You don't want to miss anything. But yes, I'm very confident. I think our legislative committee is very confident. Everybody understands what we need to do. Everybody understands it's different, but we're all going to make it work. And it's not just us around town. Everybody's in the same boat. So I think generally people are going to be understanding and they're going to, they're going to work together well to get the work done. So Michael, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit to one of the the biggest obviously the biggest issue of this session is at yeah, the top so. of everybody's list and that is providing meaningful relief for people who are suffering amid the covid pandemic and we saw the first proposal certainly won't be the last but the governor introduced a proposal. He held a press conference. He talked about his billion dollar relief act, Michael, to to sort of provide a lot of relief for individuals, for businesses, a slew of tax benefits. And we can walk through that a bit. But this won't be, as I mentioned, the last time we see a big proposal and we shouldn't be wedded to what we've heard. People shouldn't think, well, this must be it. Right. There are going to be a lot of different ideas on the table. Right.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's exactly right. And uh, the governor is also very skillful at reading the room. So he and his staff certainly recognize that we have families, workers, businesses who are all in some state of disarray or, you know, concern over, over their future. So, you know, he he's trying to address a number of things under a big umbrella of relief. That's a big complicated acronym that I've already forgotten the components of. But um, the governor launches a big proposal, it sounds like some of which will need to be in legislation, and some of which he can just execute on his own. And it's not fully clear to me which which is which. But, um, you know, for him to say, here's my big umbrella proposal uh, is exactly what you would expect to start off this you know momentous and unusual legislative session by saying okay now that we have all the decision makers in town we're going to do the work of the people and what they need is some relief so here's my playbook and let's get to it and i think that's you know that's basically how we've kicked off this session no surprise
0: right so it is the recovery for the economy livelihoods industries entrepreneurs and families act in case really? you Really interesting, right? So again, it's it's a, it's individual pay, payments for lower income Marylanders, help for small businesses and some tax cuts. Michael, it's a billion dollar bill. We haven't seen the bill and neither has the General Assembly. We can <laughs> talk about that in a second. But, you know, when we talk about in, uh, initial payments to low and moderate income Marylanders, these are people who have filed for the Earned Income Tax Credit. They would get payments of up to $450 for individuals, $750 for families, and then a second round of payments, another $150 for individuals and $250 for families. So I think yeah. that is what's going to get the most coverage. Is that you know we're, we're talking about stimulus checks, direct checks to people who need it the most. I, I imagine that will be a component of other proposals that we see, but this always seems to get the most attention, writing yeah. checks for folks who need it.
1: Well, and and I mean, a couple things that jump out to me, first of all, the earned income tax credit is not just for just just if you're low income, but if you are a, if you're a low income worker, so you are earning income, but you're still relatively low income. And right. I, I I think. You know that's a class of Marylanders that are probably among the hardest hit by this. You know this health crisis and this economic crisis. So and and like sort of wedged in the details here, this is not going to be a new process where an individual needs to log in and apply or go to some physical office and apply. It's going to be if you applied for this tax credit last year. As as someone who was eligible for the Earned Income Tax Credit in Maryland, I mean, it's this is an existing program that says we're going to give you some assistance and maybe even a tax refund instead of a tax payment at the end of the year um, if you're if you're working and still have relatively low income. Uh, if you applied for it last year, you're just going to get a check in the mail. It's going to be automatic. And for 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 those of us who are worried about application processes and handling and getting the the appropriate agency to do the appropriate paperwork the idea of let's just mail out checks i think that's that's going to that's going to resonate with an awful lot of marylanders
0: Absolutely, I mean we we all know about the the problems that we have with the unemployment system, and you know that that's still that still is a, is an issue to an extent. so I think any any way to to speed this up, the comptroller already has the data. they can get money out right away and again this this may not be exactly what the general Assembly decides to pass, but I, I think that's going to be a component of a lot of what they do are these are these checks to individuals and and families. Another proposal in this bill, Michael. Elimination of state and local taxes on unemployment benefits. I think a lot of people don't realize that unemployment benefits are taxable. The majority of states uh, do tax unemployment benefits here in Maryland. They're taxed at the state and local level. And the governor wants to eliminate that, and he wants to do it retroactively back to 2020 as well. So the governor thinks this will save about $180 million for Marylanders, but it also means $180 million in state and local tax revenue will be lost.
1: So as, as we, we sort of know, we're in this really weird spot with the state and local financial situation, with, with public revenues not really yet suffering from, from what is clearly a soft economy, in part because things have been propped up by, by federal assistance and by extra unemployment insurance and the like. Uh, to some extent, that has meant, hey, our income taxes have been relatively healthy as a result of a lot of people getting bailed out. Well, um, doing without some of that revenue would soften that for the moment. I, I think it'll be, in the aggregate, this will be a challenging issue. I don't think anyone wants to, to rush in and say, no, we really need to tax people who are unemployed and getting by on benefits. No one loves that idea. So you, you've got to You've got to balance all this stuff out. That'll be a challenge for state policymakers and and also for the county level because we count on income taxes as well. So that's, you know, that's going to be a component of this discussion this year for sure.
0: Definitely. And you know, another piece here that I think is interesting is the sales tax credits. These would top out at three thousand dollars a month, twelve thousand dollars over a four month period to allow businesses to have better cash flow. The governor thinks this is going to help more than fifty five thousand businesses and it's a three hundred million dollars in sales tax revenue that would otherwise go to the state. So an interesting way to do this to provide business relief through sales tax credits and then of course the governor wants to stop unemployment insurance rate hikes usually if you're a business and you lay off a number of people, you typically have to pay more in unemployment insurance. And obviously with COVID, a lot of people have had to lay people off. So the governor temporarily did that with an executive order, and they want to make that law through this bill. And he estimates that that will save $218 million for businesses. So again, this is a billion dollar omnibus relief package, and we'll see what the the legislature wants to do. But one of the interesting things yesterday, Michael, was the governor had said, I want the General Assembly to pass my bill today, day one. And the response was, <laughs>
1: uh, literally minutes later, the presiding officers. We were we were at an event being held by the Daily Record, and uh, I'll I'll say very ably uh, stewarded th- through by uh, by Brian Sears, who's who's their uh, ace reporter around Annapolis. Um, but in interviews with the governor and then with the presiding officers. Governor said, I want to see my bill passed today. Why would we wait at all? And then the presiding officer, I think uh, Speaker Jones, relatively quickly said, we don't even have a bill to pass. (laughs) It was for for like Annapolis insiders, that was sort of a a moment of levity. Um, I I wouldn't want to blow this out of proportion. Uh, I mean, that can sound a little bit like, Oh, this is bureaucracy. You didn't you didn't fill out the form in triplicate, and it's not on the appropriate blue paper. No, I think as a, as a practical matter, the bill literally does not exist. It's it's not just that it hasn't gone through some you know some primordial process. It literally hasn't been typed and submitted and num- num- named and numbered and so forth. So, um, I, I think it'll get it'll get plenty of oxygen in the relatively short time ahead. I think that's a very very safe bet.
0: Yes, this and other proposals. And I guess, Michael, generally, this is going to be a challenging session. They're going to have to figure out what kind of relief they want to provide. I think we all understand there's going to be a package that is passed to deal with the pandemic. And, you know, from our perspective, Michael, from the county perspective, what are you looking for? What are counties looking for as part of this? I mean, we're obviously trying to make sure to protect our budgets and our revenue sources because just like the state we face a lot of uncertainty with revenues in the economy generally but from the county perspective when we talk about all this relief and all these proposals what's in it for counties what are counties looking to do
1: well i would i would probably answer that first by taking like a half step back and referencing you know we've we've done episodes of this podcast over the last several months talking about the role of the federal government in a crisis time like this, where states and counties and other local governments have to balance our budget year to year, the federal government is the only level that has some real immediate flexibility. So, you know, the the, the state can talk about digging into a rainy day fund and getting some one time cash. Um, I'm sure that. There could be a county who says, oh, we've got this money set, af- set aside because we know we're going to have to close our landfill in a few years. We'll spend that money and we'll try and replenish it later. I mean, you can, you can do some of that. You can eat some seed corn. But in the aggregate, what, you know, this whole conversation about what are we up for probably hinges still on Congress. So and and the, the the federal government that if the feds can come through with some support for state and local governments, then we are going to be able to handle this and and the 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 local side of trying to provide some temporary internet infrastructure for kids who are learning remotely, and for workers who are trying to do telecommuting through the best means they can. We gotta get those kids out of the Wendy's parking lot. And if some temporary technology solves that, we need some federal help to do that. Caroline County can't afford to do that just digging under the couch cushions. So I feel like a lot of this stuff, including the ability to to do without tax revenue and, and stuff short term, I feel like a lot of that is contingent on, do the feds come through for those of us who are on the front lines? So if they do, I think we can play ball with an awful lot of these proposals. If they don't, then we're going to have a spring that's full of difficult reckoning for our school budgets, for our health departments, for public safety agencies, for our fire departments and EMTs, like the whole laundry list of the people who. Are you know who are properly our heroes for getting us through the last year, and then the you know the the budget's going to come due to make things right for the next year, and we're going to find ourselves with empty pockets. Um, it's it, I think it's going to be a gigantic challenge if we don't get a round of help from the feds. Forgive me for maybe overstating that a bit, but I think that's a really big deal as far as this legislative session, you know everybody's going to be sensitive to the one-time peculiar nature of what we're in the middle of and hopefully hopefully on the back end of so i think everybody's going to use a different lens to evaluate all these things than in a, just an ordinary year
0: couldn't agree more i mean obviously the federal side plays into this a lot Also, the vaccine rollout, how quickly Maryland can get vaccines from the feds and then roll them out. I know counties are very interested. They're working very hard at the local level to make sure that through local health departments and other means, people are aware that they need to get vaccinated, that they are pushing these vaccines out as fast as possible. So all of this is contingent on a lot of things outside of the General Assembly's control to an extent at this point. So I do think that there are a lot of unknowns and a lot of variables here that certainly may influence decisions this spring. But Michael, I guess we'll go ahead and leave it there for today. We have a busy tomorrow. Tomorrow is Friday, a busy weekend. We'll be reading bills again, of course. There's no such thing as a weekend during session. But next week, I'm sure we'll be back. And and, and I think we'll have some interesting stuff to talk about throughout session.
1: I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to actually setting foot in Annapolis during session, whatever exactly that's going to mean.
0: You might, you might have to wear long pants if you come here. Just I, I know you've been you you've been avoiding that, so you might have to do that if you come to town, just letting well, you know. I,
1: I broke my 10-month streak in order to be at the office for our legislative committee meeting, so I no longer am, am feeling antsy about that. But 10 solid months without long pants was sort of a personal achievement for me. I'm, I feel good about that.
0: It is pretty good. We'll leave it there. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, you can go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to you. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Michael, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you next week.